Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into today is 2000's American Psycho versus 2018's Widows. How are we doing today? Yeah, not bad, mate, you? Not bad at all. Not much news of the week this week, so I have two headlines and an anniversary to mention. So, whether you've seen this or not, there is a Winnie the Pooh horror movie that's being released and more details have emerged that involve Pooh and Piglet eating Eeyore. Right, okay. Something um, nobody asked for. It's a adult slasher film. I don't, yeah, I, I don't, don't get it. No, essentially someone's done the research and I think kind of the, the rights to Winnie the Pooh had somewhat lapsed, whether it was for a shorter period of time than the article suggested. And yeah, these people have kind of just jumped in, registered that they're doing this. And it just looks like... It looks essentially like it's good for mentioning in this sense, but in terms of actually creating a film, nonsense. So are you saying it's it's not... not not a thing it is a thing but i'm saying it's it's pointless it just looks horrendous like i don't know what the audience is i also don't know have you seen have you seen a photo of it yeah i have it's it's like some like big fat bloke in a winnie the you know like mangled winnie the pooh kind of mask like it's got just it's not it's not the winnie the pooh one i take the most issue with you've seen the piglet mask i have yeah what on okay i mean do you think people will go and see it because they're curious? Or? I think for any kind of slasher film, it's kind of like uh, teen comedies in that you've, you're always going to have somewhat of an audience there. Like There's people that will just watch that type of film. But yeah, probably. Not enough to justify it and not enough to justify the publicity it's got just for people saying, why the fuck is this happening? But there I'm we go. And the fact that they, the guy who's directing it just—I I Yeah, most of the credits are like slashed girl one, slashed girl two. Yes. Nobody needed this. No, no. We'll move on. Deadpool three writers say Disney supports the movie's R-rated content. Feel like it'd be difficult to do Deadpool without having that. It would almost be like, well, it wouldn't be Deadpool. Yes, very true. Also, now that you've released two of them, imagine, no, essentially they'd be doing what Taken did, wouldn't they? Yeah. They'd just be watering it down for the third one to try and get a bigger audience, but why ruin something so good? I like Deadpool. Yeah, um, Troy that's done the Monday podcast with us, he's just recently decided, okay, I'll give the Marvel films a go. Oh, okay. Nice. And he started. I think he's done the kind of order that you can find online of like the actual cinematic order. Oh, um, cinematic rather than no, no, you had the right word. Yeah, you had the right word. Yeah. So 
when he texted me saying he thought Captain Marvel was all right, I thought, okay, you're going to be okay with the rest of it. And he thought Thor 2 was okay. And I said, okay, well, you're probably not going to have any issues with the rest then. And he texted me yesterday and said, is Deadpool worth watching? And I said, yeah, you, you kind of don't know what you're missing here. So when you tune into that, and I was able to recommend Logan then as well. Seen yeah, you have. We did it on the podcast. Which one's the one I've not seen? Huh? Maybe one of the other Wolverine ones. I've not seen one of them. Logan was the one we did on here. The one where, spoiler alert, Is Xavier the one gets dies? killed. Yeah, and he dies at the end. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. the one in Japan. I haven't seen that one. That's like Wolverine Origins or something like that. No, that's not Wolverine Origins. It's one with Lord Friedman. It's one of the. It's maybe it's the Wolverine. One of them, and a film that we've done on the podcast uh, and done an interview regarding. Next week is ten years since that's my boy was released. Undecided yet if we'll do something special for that, but if not, consider this our tribute, and we may try and get something together on the website or back up on the YouTube uh, with our man Tony Orlando. So there we go. No other real headlines this week that were worth mentioning anyway. It's actually criminal when I do this because the amount of spoilers I stumble upon. Yeah, I get that. Where they think, like, just if a TV episode's been out three days, it's okay to just put the spoiler in the title when I'm just searching for movie news. It's it's difficult. But let's start with American Psycho. Patrick Bateman has a busy day. 12.30 power lunch. Another martini, Paul. 3.45 board meeting. What do you think? Oh, very nice. 7 o'clock friendly takeover. Patrick, you're so sweet. 9.15, make a killing. So, what do you do? I'm into, uh, well, murders and executions mostly. American Psycho, rated R. A wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman, hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent, hedonistic fantasies. Same question I ask you every week. What do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, Big fans. There are times where this film is satire at its best. It's also horrific, violent and stomach-turning. Christian Bale is incredible in this movie as he commits to making Bateman completely deplorable. American Psycho is one of the greatest horror films of all time, with its disturbingly dark comedy, psychotic breakdowns of, of society and an unnerving look at the obsessive thoughts of a serial killer. As far as revelations go, the final twist in American Psycho is more bewildering than earth-shattering, but that's what makes it great. American Psycho is one of those films that makes you laugh uncomfortably throughout and you just walk away feeling disgusted. The flick is definitely an underrated masterpiece. Finally. It made you laugh uncontrollably, which is what I thought you were going to say. No, I... I complimented myself for reading the reviews flawlessly last week and I seem to have cursed myself. 
a visually chilly but often very funny satire of American greed and conspicuous consumption. Rather than go through the trivia just bit by bit, I've kind of broken it down again. And first, I always like to look at kind of what we could have had in comparison to what we ended up getting. So the director, Mary Harron, offered the part to Christian Bale initially, who accepted. The producers then tried to talk her into casting Edward Norton instead, but she refused and was ultimately allowed to cast Christian Bale. So that's part one. Can you see... Ed Norton in that kind of role? Yeah. What was his 19... This is 2000. Is that 2000? Yeah, like what, post fight club? Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it. It's best. Uh, Feels like it was probably set up for him, to be honest. Yeah. So instead, the the studio hired Willem Dafoe to play Kimball and Reese Witherspoon to play Evelyn because they wanted at least two other big-name actors to kind of offset Christian Bale. Um, once they'd agreed, Lionsgate told them that they were going to make an offer to Leonardo DiCaprio to play Bateman. And she said that if they did that, she'd leave the project. And that's basically what happened. Uh, they bring on Oliver Stone to direct. They changed the script and he was going to work with James Woods as Kimball and Cameron Diaz as Evelyn. And he's actually the guy that brought on uh, Chloe Savini as Jean, who then ends up on the final shoot as well as the uh, receptionist. He had decided to keep Jared Leto on, but after they think they've got everything all together, DiCaprio decides that he'd rather shoot the beach. And so they decided they have all of this budget spent, they can trim it back, and they kind of just go crawling back to Mary Harron and ask her to direct it instead. So she does that on the on the basis that they bring... Christian Bale back on. Eventually, they accept when they realise that they were paying DiCaprio twenty-one million, and that I think they gave Bale about seven. So, in the meantime, though, behind her back, they offer the role to Ewan McGregor. No, it's just after Star Wars, isn't it? Yeah, and he declines it. Basically, he knows Christian Bale personally, and he just begged him, I need this part, please don't take it. (laughs) He listens to Bale and takes it. They try offering it to Keanu Reeves, and he says, no, thank you. So they go back to Bale, and you get what you get. (laughs) They've done everything just to bomb him out of the pool. Pretty much, yeah. They bombed him once, then said, okay, you're back on while going behind his back. And then I think... You and McGregor, good guy, really. Yeah, I don't know if I can see him in the role. No, I absolutely can't. But, I mean, he could have just taken it because there's money on the table. Yeah, yeah. This is my mate. He's saying he needs it. What did you just say? You're talking he's left millions on the table for one of his mates. Now, I'm sure these days he's not short of a few quid, but still. Yeah, it's it's weird because usually if you and McGregor plays an asshole... Yeah. I need you to know that if it's this on McGregor in this situation, you're bail. I'm taking, I'm taking the part. I'm taking well, the I think both of us are in better positions than we are by that point, so we probably don't have too much to complain about. Yeah, fair. Yeah, with you and McGregor, usually if he plays any kind of asshole character, 
the kind of catch in that is almost that it's not natural. Like he's almost playing like a two-faced person, which I know you get in this film, but to a different extent, like Patrick Bateman, even when he's not showing his psychopathic tendencies and showing us his visions, he's still an asshole, just lesser so than some of the other guys around him. Ewan McGregor, I don't think would play the kind of slick asshole that he needs to in this. And it would maybe seem, I can't even think of the right word. It would feel more stepdad-ish, the kind of one that you get in films, like, and he's kind of, he's the new man in the house and he's doing this and that, rather than I'm a guy who is really pompous and stuck up and working these women and I don't know, I just can't see him doing the Bateman that we end up getting with uh, Christian Bale. Uh, no, I can't either. The point. He actually uh, insisted that he meet the author and get his approval before he went ahead with the film. I think, I don't know if doubt was put in his head or, or what had happened, but he just insisted that he do that. And he met up with him in character and he introduced himself as uh, Patrick Bateman. And um, within about five minutes of seeing the mannerisms and seeing just how he was acting as the character, he actually had to ask him to stop because he said it, it was just horrible. He said it was giving him the creeps. It would just made him uncomfortable. And I think that gave the studio a bit more comfort in that maybe they did have the right guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, Brett Easton Ellis. I knew I had his uh, had his name. I was looking at it, thinking maybe I had it down wrong, but no, that is correct. Um, if we talk about just kind of the character of Patrick Bateman overall at first, do you know who Christian Bale said he took inspiration from for the character? No, go on. He based this character around Tom Cruise. He said he saw an appearance with Tom Cruise on the Letterman show in 93. And he said he saw this intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes. And so that was his starting point for Patrick Bateman. And he worked on it from there. Uh Just the character in general. So I've got some kind of notes on the adjustments that they made from the book. And I know something that the director commented on was that it can be very difficult to translate the amount of depth that there is in a book while making it subtle. So a lot of the descriptions around Bateman and the way that he presents himself, at least to the people around him are through these really minute details, which wouldn't then work when you put it on screen, if you really have to highlight it to the viewer, so they still have to yeah. make some changes. In one, people don't really want to sit for an hour and a half, two hours with a character that they just completely despise. Certainly not as the main character. Like, we just never see that. No, no. <clears throat> so, very out to isn't it? Yeah, in the novel, he's way more misogynistic, way more racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic. And they just had to tone everything down. And so you get glimpses of it in this. But they didn't go 
at it in the way that they would have if they were doing a, a direct transplant from the book. Mm. Even the opening lines, I think, that we get from Patrick Bateman, at least to another character, is he's almost like playfully responding to one of the other businessmen's like openly anti-Semitic remarks, and he pulls him up on it. And I think I think it was a director that said this. They pretty much wanted to make clear openly that just because this guy you're seeing is awful, and we're going to get to that later, all of these other people that are that are surrounding him are awful too. And so you create almost a disconnect with them, and then it doesn't feel so bad when he's going on a murderous rampage through those people because we don't particularly care for them either. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how it necessarily comes across, but I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, well, I guess everyone that he works with, there's no one that you look at there that you feel sorry for. If anything, you dislike them more than Patrick Bateman, at least initially. No, no, I, I somewhat disagree, but I get what you say. I do, but we'll get to my thoughts on the film later. Like, we can get to my thoughts later on about the film as a whole. Yeah. Um, there was a worry within the studio that Bale's way of kind of emphasising the performative aspect of his personality, particularly uh, when he when he was showing his psychopathic tendencies could look like bad acting. And in a way, I think the director kind of acknowledged that and said, Bateman's identity is so fragile that he's just constantly trying to look the part. So even when he's acting like a serial killer and whether he was or not, we'll get to later. He's trying so hard to be one of those as well. And so it does work in that sense that he's never showing his true self. He's always just trying so hard to be something that he's not. Yeah, a bad acting. I I always think it's overacting. That's the thing about this film. Um, I think it's it is so much, so very much overacted. Um, but overacting doesn't always equal bad acting. Do you think, in in some sense, though, in the the moment we get to, and I'm kind of crossing back and forth here into the different things we'll talk about. You get the moment at the cash point when it asks it to feed it a stray cat. And at that point, you get the realisation, whether you worked it out before or not, that everything you've seen in this film, you've seen from his vantage point. Yeah. And so perhaps when he is overacting or overdoing things here, it may not necessarily be playing out like that. This is just how he sees it, because he is really trying to go out of his way to fit in. Um, yes, I suppose so. But that doesn't doesn't take away from the actual overacting what, regardless, just, of, regardless of a conscious decision or not it's it is still overacted because just moments like when he does the musical conversations when he has the conversations about Huey Lewis in the news or Phil Collins yeah he's almost speaking to himself in that instance he doesn't really care that the other people are there but he's trying so hard to demonstrate that he's a normal guy, that he's in touch, that he's hip. I don't think you've ever watched Peep Show, have you? I have not, no. Okay, so one of the episodes 
Mark is trying to show that he's an ordinary bloke, that he can be one of the lads. And he goes and reads all these FHM and Nuts and Zoo magazines. And he just tries to then regurgitate it later on to seem like a bloke. And you almost get that here. Like he's definitely read some music review or something and he's just tuning out out loud. It makes, it says nothing of interest to anyone that's listening. And it is just basically a performance piece. Um, he's addressing them directly there. And I think the whole thing they are trying to drive home, the whole film is just the crisis of identity from start to finish. Um, yeah, again, very, very possibly. Well, I think depending on what take it is a question of identity, I assume the um, the the end of it, sorry, feeds into that somewhat, doesn't it? Whether it's yeah. just did he, did he, didn't he? Um, but, I mean, in terms of trying to fit in, it, it trying to fit in would lead you, lead you closer to being a, to being a sociopath um, where he doesn't possess those emotions and the the, thought, the actual issue of right and wrong that he's just trying to fit into what he sees around him. You're quite quiet, by the way. I don't know if there are any sure. different to normal. No, I'm literally not. I don't know if there's anything I can do about that, mate. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know if you had your mic in a different place or anything like that. Just don't want anything you say to be distorted. I uh, want people to be able no. to hear it. So, um, I was going to say, the moment you get at the bar when he first kind of breaks his character, so to speak, um, where we first learn of his impulses, the waitress in the club tells him they only accept credit cards and he kind of turns away and they show a shot from the mirror behind the bar looking at him and he basically says all of these awful things that he wants to do to her. And you do just get occasionally the odd shot that isn't from his viewpoint, it isn't from the person speaking to him, it's almost from our viewpoint. Yeah. And you do just see how he is just blending in with everyone. You can see how the theme of the film is that you would never suspect this guy is doing all of these awful things. She can't hear it, she has no clue what the hell he said, and he's he's able to just... I don't even know if it's fitting in, but it's, he's just invisible, isn't he? Um... Inconspicuous. Yeah, literally. I mean, is the old. I mean, invisible. So probably, probably the, a better word. Uh, well, he's, he certainly tries to create it. I mean, I suppose that's how you get away with killing multiple people. Yeah, because as the mask slips, we we are kind of shown that maybe there is more than meets the eye, and this is when you look back at the end and you try and piece together what was real and what wasn't. Um. They don't reveal all the gore at once. I think the first bit we get there is the homeless person that uh, he stabs. We get the the bloodstained sheets that he insists is is cranberry juice or cran apple. We then see him playing with like a lock of blonde hair. Um, so he gradually does represent those moments. And then as things start to change, it's basically when the killings change from just being at night into the day. And that's when things start to become a bit less clear as to what happened and what didn't, when the lines get blurred from his perspective as well as ours. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the hair thing, by the way, probably the creepiest thing in the film. <laughs> yeah. just, it's just, just weird. Um, yeah, it's, it, it certainly does. I, it, I suppose it's done well. It, it, it all builds to that end because it's almost like it's, it's, you literally watch someone's grip on reality slip away. Yeah, because the whole thing is even when he is killing people, you see in the discussions that he has with the police detective, as much as he doesn't want to get caught, kind of like the old serial killer thing is, he also is kind of subconsciously trying to ensure that he can get some credit for it, like he still doesn't want to be overlooked. And say, um, There's a certain type of serial killer who actively wants to be caught. Yeah. They want to be um, obviously, they're both down into all these different categories and stuff. But I do say there's... Uh, there's one specific type that just actively wants to be caught. Like, that they want the notoriety, which is essentially what this is. Isn't it? Yeah, like <clears> one, <throat> of the, one of the moments where he kind of ramps things up again is in the toilet, where he realises that this identity that he's pushing so hard to project can be misread by the guy thinking that he's making a move on him mm. when he's <laughs> putting his arms around his throat at a urinal, which, to be fair... I can see why that message would be coming across with, with everything he's putting out there, but it just downplays him more. And I think we've seen films like this before in the sense of the, the person that's uh, underestimated and put down and then they, they turn into the villain, but we're seeing it almost from the other side here. But this is someone again who at least to this guy who's perceived to be kind of the weasel of the group, this guy, he, he stands out from the rest of them. Uh, and even he isn't intimidated at all by him to the point where he can have his hands around his neck. And the only possible way he could see this is that he's making a move on him like he's always seen. And I guess the fact that he thinks that he then recognizes that that's how he's being seen from there as well. He thinks they may, they could be on a level and it's just further disconnection from the other guys that he's trying so hard to fit in with. Yeah. Like, um, sorry. There, there are implications throughout the film and in the novel that he was also cannibalistic. I think they toned that down. They do. Partly because, can you do a, can you do a cannibal film now without just being compared to Silence of the Lambs? I feel like it could be completely different and it's just still going to be compared to a Hannibal-like character. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, yeah, it probably will be. Like well, in the books, they say there was there was a lot of graphic scenes of him devouring the bodies of his victims, sometimes cooked, sometimes raw. Um, you would suggest? Oh, you think you're right. Um, it's hard to maintain the tone that you're pushing for in this film. He starts firing up, starts firing up some goodness. Yeah, it. When the, the film's an hour and 35 minutes long, and it's probably a bit less than that. Um, so I was going to listen to the audiobook before we did this today. There must be so much substance that I referred to earlier that's missed out. It's about 18 hours long, the book. I don't know. How does that translate to... So the, Ever like? the Everest book, and that film's two and a bit hours long, mm -hmm. was around nine hours Oh, wow. Okay. You, you've seen at least the size of the Harry Potter books. 
and say the Philosopher's Stone is about eight or nine hours. Okay, so double that. So probably yeah. what the the fourth one they start getting massive, isn't it? Yeah. Goblet of Fire is probably that. Yeah, exactly. So there there must be so much in there that, that we don't get to see on screen. I know there is a sequel. I've looked up nothing about it. I just know that Mila yeah, yeah, Kunis yeah. is in it. <laughs> Um, in terms of the adjustments then and, and what they do do, is there was it the right path? Do you think to do it almost internally, like in the film? Should you have anything but almost his hallucinations or whatever you want to call them from the start? Is it better to kind of blend into it, or how do you think? it could have been portrayed or should have been portrayed or do you think they got it just right for the audience? Um, I think it's the way they do it is, is very it's different to what you might have expected. Um, I, I think that's what makes the film and gives the film its interest. So I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of criticism for the way no. they chose to do it. I, I, again, is it how different is it to to the book? I don't know. But if you're saying there's 18 hours, maybe that maybe there is more focus on reality in the book, um, and, and that's something that they chose to to dial back to maybe increase the way that they show that he's out of his fucking mind. Yeah. When when I mentioned that we were doing it this week, I did have a message from someone saying, "I know this is very cliche, but." The book is so much better, and it was like, look, I, I appreciate that, and most of the time it's going to be. I still don't have 18 hours <laughs> to get through before we do that this week. So ultimately, we're doing the podcast on the film rather than the book. So not too relevant. Yeah, exactly. I mentioned the messages, and I'll ask you in a moment if what you think, if anything, they're trying to portray. Because I don't ask this with Fight Club, and you you weren't too sure with with this one. The common perception seems to be that it's almost just mocking like materialistic lifestyles that nowadays we aren't carrying around personalized business cards or it's not necessarily in tailored suits or certainly not for us anyway or most of the audience you're trying to identify with but like electronic devices social media accounts this and that patrick bateman ultimately right from the start with the business cards and the particular suits is trying to identify with these people he works with we still don't really know what work he does he's never doing any work and when he doesn't get that he tries i guess to punish those people and become a different person because he's not content with the person that he is um you see it in it's almost like a cosmetic advert, isn't it? The the time in the mirror when he's talking you through his shower routine and I use this balm and I use this lotion. Because if you were to compare it shot for shot, minus the spiky hair, it's basically the Ferris Bueller routine. He's shaving it rather than like the lotion being put on his face. He's washing his hair. You see him in the shower. But the two different ways of portraying it come across completely differently where they use it for comedic effect in Ferris Bueller and he's talking to you in this there's never the sense with Patrick Bateman when he's narrating that he's talking to you 
he's talking at you in the same way that he does when he speaks to the women or the prostitutes or whatever it is, uh, even uh, the one guy that he speaks down to. He's just talking at you in this sense. I don't think he's even trying to sell you on these cosmetics that he's using. He's effectively saying, this is what I do every morning to get ready. What's your excuse? Why aren't you doing this? It's just, it, it sets him up nicely for the, I don't know, is it a stereotype? No, it's sort of a stereotype for that city, that city the Gordon Gecko-esque fella, isn't it? Mm. You sound a lot clearer in just that moment there, so I don't know if you've done any differently, anything differently there. No, I've literally not moved. It's like you've broken through. Um, I haven't moved since we started recording. If anything, my phone has probably slipped further down my chest, so it's probably farther away. Oh, well, seems to have worked. Um, I guess even in, even in the same sense with this kind of identity thing, even when he's getting restaurants, you see just getting the reservation is really where it's at for him. The food itself doesn't matter. When he's going on his date, he tells her what she's having. It doesn't matter that she's present or not. It's just he's taking someone out to this restaurant. The behavior of everyone there doesn't change. They're all just awful people in these awful places. And I don't know. Everything is just about being the elite of the elite. And I think, as I said before, I think that's why you can get away with this because we don't ever warm to the character, but we don't warm to anyone else either. So I think that's why you can have the main character here butchering his way through. And ultimately, we bat an eyelid at the methods he uses. I think people would say the most uncomfortable they are is maybe when he kills the homeless guy because everyone else gives you some kind of reason as to why they're doing this. Well, I was about to say that the representation of sex workers in 2000 compared to 2022 is completely different. The empowerment that there is now in, in, in terms of how these people are represented that are in that line of work is very different to what it is then, where it is a dingy limo going past saying, come on, get in. And he's able to just dangle this wad of cash and go, come on, come on, get in here, do this. And it's different in the way that if America Psycho is done in 2022, they're probably using and the person has an OnlyFans and he looks down on that. In this, it's someone who is dead-eyed, is desperate for cash, has no real emotion to them, and they're, they're just a body in this sense. And so they haven't done anything wrong, but they also don't give you anything to warm to as a character. The only moment you really have is saying, kind of, don't get in the car the second time around. So hopefully I didn't come across too badly initially saying that everyone's done something. I'll say the only people that kind of haven't done anything is the homeless guy really gets by because he has a dog. For a lot of people as an audience, that is what's warmed him to them. It's when the dog gets killed as well that really tips things over the edge. Always the way, isn't it? Yeah. I would say there's people complaining he killed the dog and I am legend. People seem to forget what the dog was about to do. Yeah, the dog was eating it with a smile on his face. Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah. Do you agree? Do you, do you think you could, if you gave us any kind of background on these other characters that are around him that are ultimately in his crosshairs, do you think it works the same way? Because I think if you even introduce 
Reese Witherspoon's character anymore. I think if you put her in the crosshairs of his axe or whatever, I don't think you see the character in the same way. I think you do let it slide. Because as I say, you don't really care about anyone that he's doing this to. No, but uh, it's also that again, all being from his vantage point, doesn't it? Because even are they are they scumbags or are they scumbags because that's how he sees them? Yeah, even Reese Witherspoon. Sorry, no, no, go on. I was going to say even Reese character is portrayed in a way that we're supposed to almost be annoyed with her because it's like she's badgering him. When you're really taking what she's saying, she's asking, when can we get married? Um, Mm. When can we spend more time together? When can we do this? What are we going to do at Christmas? Don't tell me you want to change my body again, blah, blah, blah. It's only at the end when she kind of narrows it down to, well, we have to stay together. We have the same friends, which at that point, we don't even know if she said that. That could still be his delusion at that point. So I think it's just been very carefully done. And I imagine it's the same in the book as to who his victims are. Jared Leto, I don't think you really have any hesitation to seeing him chopped up in any film. I don't think he's been likable in any film he's in. And this really isn't much different. So they picked a good person there. Yes. Uh, Jared Leto, strangely. I'm not sure if I've ever seen him in anything I actually like in it. No, and I mean... A quick Google of him probably suggests there's maybe more than one reason for that, but his latest films haven't done too badly either. Do done too well either, sorry. No, okay. Yeah. Just every I'm not saying he's bad and different, but it's just I don't really like him or anything anything I've ever seen in him. Something something I noted down, you've got the kind of discrepancy here between the eighties music he blares out and yeah. the brutal violence that goes alongside it. Whitney Houston refused to let her music be played in this, by the way. Um, I could imagine she wasn't the only one. No, there was a lot of brand deals that signed up and then tried to say to the filmmakers, look, we'd love to have Calvin Klein in the film, but you can't have Patrick Bateman wear them. And they were almost saying, well, who do you think's going to wear it? Like, yeah. what do you think we're asking for this for? Yeah. What well, do you want the homeless guy in a pair of CKs for you? Yeah, yeah well, what, they were going to have... There's a line in the book that I don't know the context of it. That supposedly one of the most famous lines from the book is when he says, don't touch the Rolex. And Mm. in this, they have to say, don't touch the watch because Rolex said, absolutely not. You can't associate our watches with with that vile psychopathic killer. So a lot fell by the wayside. Okay, fair enough. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah, so with the music, I was going to say, do you think that happens in the same way if Reservoir Dogs hasn't come out previously? I don't know, like, the first instance of that, but that's certainly the most famous one, isn't it, isn't it with the kind of jovial music and then the horrible act that's taking place on screen to juxtapose it? Mm. I don't know if Reservoir Dogs is the first. I don't believe it. Is Reservoir Dogs post-2000? No, that's what Dogs for. That's what I mean. So this is 2000. Yeah, yeah I don't even say it would be the first instance of it. I'm not sure about it. Well, it's, it's certainly the most popular in our lifetime. That's the example people use. Like I knew that about Reservoir Dogs before I'd seen Reservoir Dogs. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if... Maybe they would do it the same way. I just don't know if they've seen the success of it there and got okay, that's that's something that we can use as well. 
I don't know. Um, it works. I mean, it sort of always works well. And it does particularly if you're trying to, uh, almost repeating myself, but if you're trying not to turn the audience against this serial killer, just having him do it in a somewhat jokey way, like he does a moonwalk before he swings an axe into Paul's head, which is the only thing the author said he doesn't like in the whole film, by the way. Really? Yeah, he said he thought that was too much. So he refers to eating people, but the moonwalk was too much. Not a big Michael Jackson fan, then. <laughs> what do you think, before we move on, what do you think, if anything, the message is? Because kind of like Fight Club, I do think there can't be this much in there without them trying to say something. I guess it's just what you think they're trying to say. Necessarily trying to say anything. Do you not think yeah. when they do things like there has to be a reason they're putting these business cards in your face so much? That has to almost symbolise something because it's such a weird metaphor to use that they zoom in on Bateman's face every time, and it's one of the only times you see him outwardly is him really looking at the fine details on the font on a business card to the point where it's anger, where he thinks he's being copied, wherever he thinks that someone's kind of one-upped his. There's something it, to do with, it, like, materialism. Is it, is it metaphor? Yeah, but... So is it metaphorical in their message, or is it symbolic in the fact that that's the item they choose? Well, I don't know. I don't know if you what you thought they're trying to say with that. Well, it, I don't know why you ask me these questions. You know, <laughs> you know I'm shit at answering them. I'm doing this for about two years. I'm still don't no good at answering them. Um... Well, because usually we finish and then I ask you a similar question and you've got a good answer. And so I don't know if it's the... I don't, I don't have a good answer. I've never any good at answering questions about symbolism and messages. I don't watch them. Well, even just in explaining, I mean, I, I don't want to go back over old ground, but when we were discussing the, uh, not the seven episode, when I said, again, oh, what, what is it with the acting? Then you gave me like a very detailed explanation of what you didn't like in that scene. So... I don't know if there's something where you have an idea here and you just don't say it, or if genuinely. Because it's not like you're watching it and your mind's blank. Thank you for giving me that much credit. That's what I mean. So there must be something that... No, no. I mean, there are often times where I'm watching it and my mind is just blank. Or you thought I was patronising you, which which I wasn't. No, no. No, no. I'm I'm being serious. Thank you for for giving me credit for thinking that I'm, I'm better than I actually am. Um, there is every chance that if I'm watching a film, my mind is just blank. Um, one of the things I love about films, somewhere. One of the few times that I'm able to do so. To your point, I don't know. I don't know whether they choose a business card for satire because it could be. You talk about Rolexes. They could have used watches. Yeah. And is it then the point is that in his goal to be number one? He has to have the best of everything. Yeah. Or is it, as you say, a metaphor for the pitfalls of a capitalist society? One seems far too deep for a film that is ultimately about some bloke putting axes into prostitutes. Um, and one, the, the former seems possibly more likely in that. Uh, is it is due? I don't know. Traditional sex leverage store business cards or whatever that's Um 
if it is, is it done as that's just the chosen item to show because it's so small and in the real world it's <clears throat> excuse me in the in the grand scheme of things the business card is so fucking insignificant yeah he is inspired to a murderous rage as a business because someone has a, in his own mind a nicer business card than he has that it shows what drives him that he must to try and fit it his way of trying to fit in is that he must be the best of everything it's it's as close to dick measuring as you can get without that south park episode where cartman's lining them all up with a tape measure yeah so that's what i mean I, and i don't know if the, the actual in as i say in the not even in the grand scheme of things actually in, in any <clears throat> in any given context unless you're actually giving someone a business card a business card is fucking inconsequential yeah the only thought i had was whether it was just them trying to hammer home that that these guys are kind of looking down on everyone else like they are supposed to be like the elitists here because i can't say i've ever worried about a business card and 90 percent of us haven't so i didn't know if it was just another thing hammering home you can't relate to anything these guys are basically and just continuing to make them unlikable maybe just how uh, much he psychoanalyzes things that that bothers him well, yeah, that's that's it. And like I say, I don't know if I don't I don't know if it is um, business cards don't matter. I, I, I do you think I'll actually change the question slightly. Do you think that scene is improved if the item is something of real world consequence? No, I think it detracts from it. If so, no, I I, I do as well. Actually, then. I do think the fact that they use for whatever point you're trying to make be it materialistic um whether it's material whether it is a thing about materialism or just about capitalism in itself um i think the fact that they choose something so small is a very good idea yeah let's go on to the ending then before we move on to, to our next your point, sorry, to answer your text no i just accidentally kicked something over so i've just, I just oh, sounds it. like your mic's a bit covered up no, no, sorry, I've just kicked something over. A bit distorted. I've just got to, got to move some stuff quickly. All right. Um, what well, the ending, so mentioned already, the kind of third act here is essentially all just to drive home that you're seeing this world through his eyes. Don't trust anything you've seen to this point because an ATM doesn't actually flash the message, feed me a stray cat. We then get a moment almost immediately after where... He blows up a police car with about three bullets and he looks down at the gun almost to say that shouldn't have happened, mocking the kind of action films where that does happen. And just to point out that perhaps we aren't seeing reality at this moment in time. Um, He goes up to the tower of the building, kills a couple of people on the way, and then his pain becomes too much. I don't know if the realisation of what he's done becomes clear. I don't know if it's that he hasn't been noticed in the way that he wanted to be noticed, but he leaves a voicemail to his lawyer and desperately just tries to list all of the murders that he says he's committed. And then the next day, the lawyer doesn't recognise him. The, The system doesn't acknowledge his crimes. No one understands that he's suffering. And I think he's quoted as saying, I want my pain to be inflicted on others in his final speech. Um, we've seen a bit more of his character like he's invited his secretary up to his apartment he wasn't able to hurt her she did nothing that 
he had a reason to dislike, I guess. She was the only person that he's spoken to that whole time that isn't secure in herself. She says that she doesn't know what she wants to do. She says that she's uncertain in her life choices, but she accepts that, that she has time for that and how young she is. And basically that she's doing the opposite of everyone else and isn't trying to fit in. So he basically tells her to leave because he doesn't want to hurt her. is a moment is I would put it in air quotes if I could but you can't see me but it's his moment of redemption yeah after all this um, he basically is upset that nobody takes him seriously like I've got the quote from uh, the lawyer who at this point still doesn't even know who he is asks him uh he calls him davis asks if he's still dating cynthia two people we've never met and he says davis i'm not one to badmouth anyone your joke was amusing but come on man you had one fatal flaw bateman is such a dork such a boring spineless lightweight um so i guess another question is does he even have an alibi the fact that he's been misidentified so many times through this film he could have killed these people yeah. and just nobody recognises who he who he is ever. Possibly. Um, and that is just the one that would be the greatest veil of anonymity. Yeah. You're just that fucking manila that no one knows who you are. The, the quote that I think we referenced earlier from Mary Harron, she says to both her and her co-writer in retrospect, they, they don't love how the film's ending came together because they feel that the finale is too ambiguous. They say they don't like the fact that people walk away from the story wondering if it's all a dream. Um, and they want to make it very clear that he definitely is a serial killer. They said... Well, I, this, this is just in general. I've yep. spoken about this on the pod before. This annoys me. When it's uh, people... If it was Patrick... If it's Patrick... If it was Christian Bale saying this, I'd sort of get it. 2000, he probably doesn't have the juice to be trying to make script changes and changes to the plot. When it's someone who can definitely have the power to do that, don't wait until after the fact. Just put it in the fucking film. It seems, though, that they didn't realise that was the case. I'll, I'll, read what, I'll read what she had to say. She said, One thing I think is a failure on my part is people keep coming out of the film thinking it's all a dream, and I never intended that. All I wanted was to be ambiguous in the way that the book was. I think it's a failure of mine in the final scene because I just got the emphasis wrong. I should have left it more open-ended. It makes it look like it was all in his head, and as far as I'm concerned, it's not. What starts to happen as the movie progresses is that you're, uh, is what you're seeing and is what's going on in his head. So when he shoots a car and it explodes, even for a second, he is like, huh? Because even he is starting to believe that his perception of reality cannot be right. As he goes more crazy what you actually see becomes more distorted and harder to figure out. But it's meant to be that he's really killing all these people. It's just that he's probably not as nicely dressed. It probably didn't go as smoothly as he's perceiving it to go. The hookers probably weren't as hot, etc, etc. It's just Bateman's fantasy world. So when we've spoken about this before, we've criticised almost that they want to distance themselves from the film and what was portrayed. I don't see this as the case. I, I see this as she thought they had portrayed this in the correct way and it's only in hindsight 
that they realise that that isn't the case. Like we, I don't know if you watched The Apprentice, but you see on there, you have one instance in the last season, they see a logo and I can't think exactly what it said, but it was basically swearing at people and they didn't realise they'd put this in their logo. And it was only when someone from the outside looked at it, said, look, why does that logo say fuck or shit or whatever it said? In this case, it seems she's trying to stay true to the book, which is all people would ever want her to be. And she's just acknowledging that perhaps with the knowledge they had of the book and the knowledge that they had going in, perhaps they were a bit too close and didn't see how it would look to everyone else. Which is her job. But It is her job, but do you not you're not screened, you're not test screened. I don't know, I don't there, know. Um... There are fail-safes in place. So I understand her point more now, thank you for, thank you for saying that. Um, I understand her point more now that you've given the full quote, but the point remains. Do, do, you, not do, do you not do these things? I agree, but it, I guess we've all probably done things previously where you can look back a bit later on and you just kind of kick yourself like, I should have done that differently. And the blessing that we have is that most of those things probably aren't seen by millions of people. I guess blessing and a curse because we're not getting paid but she's getting paid. But yeah, it just feels to me like... Week, yeah, it feels to me like perhaps one person said it and she thought, okay, maybe it's just there's two people said it. And I, even with what we've seen previously, maybe the studio was so delicate and tiptoeing around her because they'd already had her leave once that they didn't want to give her this bad feedback. Or I was going to use a, another reference to a film I don't think you've seen, an elf, where as long as the books are flying off the shelf, those people don't care that the ending of the story isn't there. So maybe the studio had what they had. They had Patrick Bateman and Christian Bale, and they had these quotables in there, and they had these great scenes that people are going to be speaking about after. And maybe for them, it's better that people leave the cinema asking these questions. It seems like it's just more of an issue for her personally like Wenger saying, I wish I could have done the Champions League final differently. This just seems like it's her saying, I wish I could have done the last 10 minutes differently. I wish I could have made that substitute or not taken that guy off. It's just something she's kicking herself for now. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Because from what I gather, it isn't as open-ended in the book. And it is very much a case of he killed people, but how many people did he kill? And if we were to look at this analytically I do like I do I haven't said this but I haven't criticized this but I do like the idea that his version of reality is just grandiose ideas rather than it being all in his head. Him yeah him doing these acts but not in a ten by eight not in a thousand dollar suit and not wearing a Rolex for example. Because we get we get enough things don't we like enough other people see things and I think that's why they do it like the person that he used to work with comes in when he's in the laundrette and he's threatening the woman in there uh, she's not getting the blood out of the sheets and mm. she says oh what what's that on there so we know now that someone else has seen that, that that's happened there's the moment when he's at the crossing and he makes eye contact with the woman next to her and he, he stays by her and he gives her a certain look that says to us something bad's going to happen here and I think the next scene is when he's twirling that blonde hair around in his hands I think we see enough to to tell us he definitely has killed people. Maybe it's he killed the homeless people and he killed the sex workers, but his fantasies really are that he wants to take out these people that he deems to be more important, the people that don't treat him as one of their own. Because I guess the people that 
we assume he's killed. Certainly the homeless person looks up to him. Yeah. And so that's how I see it. I see it as being that way around. And it could just be, look, he did kill all these people. There's a theory out there that says this is all just the big people sticking up for the big people. When someone says to the lawyer, was Patrick Bateman with you that night? His instinct is to lie because these people these people stick up for each other. These people protect each other, and they don't want to bring the house of cards around down down around each other. And so it's just yeah yeah he was with us without even thinking anything of it. And that could be a way he's got away with it because the fact that the police were looking for this guy, I feel like they could have crossed off the fact that he was in London with the lawyer pretty easily, more than it would have taken for this whole investigation. Possibly. Um, like, if you get to the point where you're interviewing him, he's not the first person that you speak to. No. No, no, no. No, no. Don't, you don't allow... And if it's a rich girl like that, that, yeah, you'd think they speak to the lawyer. <laughs> and then he yeah. says, no, I was in London with him last week. Yeah, and then that's... Okay, cool. That's fine. So uh, in terms of the, the lies and protecting of, maybe it's one of, again, it goes back to the end where he's He's such a nobody that he's with you enough that you assume he was there, but you don't. You don't ever really is he one of them that you don't ever really notice. You just assume he's there. Yeah, because I think if they don't include the scene where he goes back to Paul's flat, where he's then deemed to be doing more of these murders because he's not bringing them back to his own apartment. The fact that when they go there, the place is spotless. The woman there, who's Better than the actual detective, by the way, where she says, oh, did you see the advert in the Times? And he says, yeah, there was no advert in the Times. Game, set and match. You shouldn't be here. The fact that that place is spotless shows, okay, at least some of this didn't happen. And so if they'd left it that way, have you seen Basic Instinct? No. Okay, so can I reference something from that which will clarify i don't know if i'm going to spoil anything for you okay so i won't give you the exact thing but they have a thing in there where it's okay was she the killer or wasn't she the killer and the last shot you get there is of a weapon under the bed and it's basically saying i don't want you leaving this cinema with any kind of doubt that someone else could have done this i don't need to give you the whole story she did it okay and so if the last scene of this film you could have done something as simple as he goes to look inside of his jacket and he's got a spot of blood on his shirt just something as minuscule as that and then it gives you the kind of wink to the camera look this guy is a killer but question how much of this, question how many of these people he did kill. Because he definitely didn't kill the 40, he says. No. You could have done something little like that, and the director isn't then walking to the supermarket for the rest of her days with someone going, oh, come on, did he kill those people? And I think that's maybe what she's kicking herself for. Fair enough. No, I no. The basic instinct example is nice. I like that. Yeah, in, even in... Um, like Gone Girl, they do enough things, don't they, throughout where it's like, don't be under any illusions, like, this person is definitely guilty by the end of it. Yeah. Um, just something like that. I don't know if 
that would be the way she'd change it. I know maybe she feels that she's kind of hamstrung by the books, but I don't know. There must have been a way to do it. Sometimes you're just trying to be a bit too clever for your own good, aren't you? And maybe this was just one of those times. Possibly. If she feels, you you have to imagine if she feels that she did too much or too little, depending on which what your point of view is, that there must have been another way to do it. Otherwise, if she can't, if she can't envision another way of it being done, yeah, she can't be kidding herself. And it, it's a lot more refreshing hearing this when overwhelmingly the the reviews are positive of this film. Like more people like this film than don't. This isn't the yeah. same as a film flopping and then the director going, well, you know what? I was going to do this differently. It's kind of like uh, we would talk about it on a Monday and we would compare Ollie moaning week in, week out to Klopp moaning week in, week out. And it was like you can kind of forgive it a bit more when you're moaning after a win. It always goes down better. But there's, there'll be some people saying, well, you won, why'd you care? But it doesn't come across as sour grapes in the same way it does if you lose 8-0 and you blame the referee. And so it's yeah, a bit more palatable hearing this from her now because people aren't saying it completely wrote the film off for them. It's just a nitpick almost. No, nice point. Makes sense. So just before we move on then, um, if we kind of say what we thought on the film, this was neither of our first time seeing it. Was this your second time seeing it? Yeah. Okay, so it's the same for me as well. If you give me what you thought the first time around of seeing it, and I don't know if you saw it close enough together to say if anything changed or... No, I watched this a long time ago. So if you just your, your thoughts on the film uh, in general. I... Excuse me. I'm not a great level of it. Um, I, I, it's hard to describe why. I when I watch it, I'm not. I wasn't excited to rewatch it. It's probably the, the best thing to say. Don't know if it's because I know what happened. Um, there are some scenes I like. Some of the killings I think are quite quite good. There are parts where it's quite funny. Um, I just don't know. I just don't think I like the character of Patrick Bateman. I know I'm not supposed to, but not that I dislike him personally. I dislike it as as a character. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not the character makes you angry. It's, it's no, it's not the. It's not. I don't dislike him because probably sounds terrible. Yeah, I, I know it's yeah because he's because he's a serial killer. I dislike him because of his actual personality. Yeah. Do you think that's intentional? Do you think? I, I don't want to rehash things, but I'll just do you think are we supposed to like him or are we just supposed to not dislike him more than the other people around him? But I guess you're saying perhaps you, you don't I, dislike I, the people I, around him. No, no, I, I think it makes the film for me it makes the film more palatable that I have very little very little feeling towards almost anyone else in the film. Okay. They are almost they are they are almost objects in his story. Do you think it would be easier for you to warm to the character if it was more cut and dried? Like, almost as if it was like Jim Carrey in The Mask. So it's very obvious when he's Stanley Ipkiss and when he's The Mask. Now, you're not going to do that in this film, but is that part of it kind of... No. I don't know if it's draining for you trying to follow along or... 
No, not necessarily. No, not this, especially not the second time. When I know what's coming, when I know sort of roughly what's coming, it, it makes it far. It makes it far easier. So, someone uh, for a serial killer, he's not a Hannibal. He's not Hannibal Lecter. He's not even. He's not even fucking Buffalo Bill. It's just. Is, is part great. of it then that you don't you don't really have a motive, do you? Is that something there? So whether you can then be aligned in some cases or or you can disagree with the cause that he's doing this for, like you, you have no MO for him in this. No. It just, other than is, he, he has these psychopathic tendencies. It's just it's just very great. Don't know, there's nothing about his actual personality for me to to aid to align to. I mean, oh, I don't know. I'd probably identify more with, with Hannibal or other serial killers. I think probably their closest will identify with John Doe. Um, as far as that is. But, but, but if you take those two as examples. You say as you're doing this in your. Oh, I won't go there. <laughs> no, no, go on. What are you going to say? <laughs> I was going to ask what you're wearing to record this if you are identifying with John Doe. No, no. Just, 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 just some of these things, sure, isn't it? Nothing odd. Um, <laughs> but, like, as the two, out of the two, you can't tell me that one doesn't grip you far more than the other. And that's not oh. the story that surrounds it. That's just actually as a character. And it's no disrespect to Chris and Bear. I think Chris and Bear is great. Um, it's just the, the way it is. If I were to, to compare the two, and we could go through, I could give you a, an either or. It's just one grips me far more than the other. Nothing about Patrick Bateman grips me. I don't know if that is the point of the film, and then ultimately I should should love it just because he is supposed to meld into the background somewhat. But that's just what I always think about. Or this is what I thought about pre-watching it. Yeah. What I think about after watching it. I think part of it, and I know we have different uh, ideas there, is the idea the second time watching it is that they are trying to drive home some messages. And I think the kind of consumerism side of it is something they're really trying to drive home with going out for meals and things like that. And so I don't know if that's almost in, I mean, we're getting really perhaps pretentious here that that's almost the main character and that's the main villain of the film. And then Patrick Bateman is almost second to that. I don't know. I can see what you mean in that. He, there isn't enough given to you to really latch onto in the way that you have with the other serial killers that you've mentioned in film, whether it's that you really despise them or, or Hannibal for all that he is, is charming, isn't he? In the way like his intelligence that he shows, and he has more of a foil to work off. Bateman doesn't even really have that. Everyone that he speaks to. He's basically just fed up of his shit in the most part, and they don't even want to entertain the conversations with him. So there's no bounce back that he has. No. And so I can see what you mean. The second the time around, the most I can put it is I just don't care about him. Yeah, I'm probably I if if he were a real person, I would I would essentially be part of the problem. I'd probably be on his, <laughs> I'd probably be on his hit list, but I just don't care about him enough in any way. Like yeah. I say, there's no strong feeling in any direction i don't love him i don't loathe him i'm not it doesn't excite it doesn't excite me i'm not charmed by him no. just 
almost like I say, it's almost great. The, the second time around, um, someone said to me that an interesting way to watch it is to decide from the start whether you think it's all a delusion or it's all not. And then almost you treat it like a court of law kind of thing. And you're saying, can you definitively say which way? And so either stick with he did it and you're looking for things in the film to disprove that or you think he didn't do it and you're looking for things in the film to kind of prove that he did. And that's an interesting way to do it because there are some subtleties that you can perhaps pick up on there. With what you've said, I would draw back to one of the reviews that said, uh, if I just take it down here, uh, it said, as far as revelations go, the final twist in American Psycho is more bewildering than earth-shattering. And I don't know if that's perhaps something you identify with in, it's not seven or it's not some of the other like great twists in films that you would tee off it's not some of the more famous ones it's kind of okay we kind of saw this coming and it doesn't change as much for you as perhaps it was meant to um possibly it's hard to say it's hard to say now or harder to, to answer that now because I'm, a lot of it is based on my rewatch. Because I watched this the first time around quite a long time ago, and I don't, I don't have, I don't overtly remember. I suppose the best way I'm putting it is I, 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 rem- I don't remember anything overtly about the first time I watched it. Whereas we've done seven films on the pod. Do you remember when you saw this? Yes, bang. I can tell you, yeah. like when the completely different genre of films we did when we did the Goodfellas pod, or, and when I've spoken about Goodfellas, I can tell you exactly. I can tell you what room I was in in my house yeah. when I watched it. I can tell you exactly where I was and how I had to watch it, 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 it and things like that. Whereas I don't, I remember watching this, but I don't remember a great, a great deal about it. I watched this on a coach back from an Arsenal game when I realised just how short it was. I just kind of assumed from what I knew of the film, it was going to be a long drawn out one. Mm. And then was reeled in by the fact that it was an hour and a half long, basically. Just before we move on, the one character I did tweet about this week that, is my main takeaway from the film, and I guess could be used as a takeaway. Snowball the pig. Now, me and TK did something around Christmas time where we looked at Christmas scenes in non-Christmas films, festive scenes in non-festive films, and this was one of them. (laughs) Just the uh, way she's walking around this party with a pot-bellied pig under her arm like like it's the most normal thing in the world is is hilarious in itself um his reaction is i guess one of the more identifiable things in the film there because you would if someone was walking around a party with a pig under their arm be like what the fuck is going on here mm-hmm. yeah. it also just made me really want a pig no micro pig yeah because that that looks sensational that one i'd love to i'd love to come home and see that yeah, no, my mum had two of them. So, uh, God bless her. And um, one of our people in the nursing home used to run. They were what were they Thelma named? Thelma and Louise. <laughs> not snowboarding. No, no, Thelma and Louise. Made, like, in this, I don't know if it's the same everywhere in the world. I assume not. But in the UK, you've got to get like, a license for them. Okay. It's got to be like, a licensed pig handler, which <laughs> don't, make, don't make any jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, yeah, I know. I'm changing your name in my phone to that. 
Oh, no, don't make any jokes. Um, but yeah, yeah she absolutely, I, I think awesome. I know a few people I could uh, <laughs> I could call that to actually. And, and that was the joke I knew you were going to make. Mentioned him on the pod before actually, and perhaps <laughs> some that have been on the pod. Um, but anyway, let's move on to our second film of the day, and that is Widows. Your husband stole two million dollars from me. You got two weeks to pay me. Our husbands aren't coming back. We don't have any money. You want us to pull off a job? Million apiece. In or out? I'm in. Dad. This is not your world. No one thinks we can pull this off. Let's go. You reap what you sow. Let's hope so. We know, so you know, November 16th. Four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. So, this was your first time seeing this film? Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you knew about it going in. Uh, I knew pretty much exactly what you just said. Okay, what do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, I think it was Largely positive. Don't think it'll be. This is the best thing this year. But I think it'll be a good film. Okay. Um, that was actually the reaction it got. It was very much. Oh my god! This film. Oh seriously. Yeah. Oh well. And I think it. what benefits it in some respects is that if you hadn't seen that, you do go in with not low expectations, but. I don't think you go in expecting perhaps the type of film you get to, which we'll get to in a moment, but I'll give you the I reviews. With, I, I went in with pretty, not low expectations. I didn't Just standard. Bad. Yeah, I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a lot of expectations no. surrounding it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so one of the year's best pound-for-pound genre films, Widows is one of the most exciting, bare-knuckled heist thrillers to come along in some time. The twisty-turny plot gets a little in the weeds, but the performances, including assists from Daniel Kaluuya and Brian Tyree Henry, see it through with flying colours. McQueen plays gleefully with all the genre's tropes, from double crosses to training montages, subtly rewiring the interpersonal relationships and motivations, all while two of the women juggle childcare. Widows is an instant crime classic. And finally, because Steve McQueen, the guy who's known for his painstaking dissection of human suffering, directed it, I cannot believe Widows is as fun as it is. Got through those critics' reviews, all right. I must have just been there on one earlier. If we start with Steve McQueen. So, Widows is itself technically a remake of a 1980s Linda LaPlante miniseries that he was just a fan of in his childhood. But as the title suggests, the gender of the protagonists is not among the changes that he made. Um, and he's then condensed the runtime from being a miniseries to just over two hours. The setting is changed to the present day. The action is transplanted to Chicago. And you've got this political subplot that has an Irish Catholic 
dynasty against an African-American upstart. The cast of this is, I think, the most standout thing. If you know nothing about the film and you're perhaps looking for one to watch, this would catch your eye. If you went on IMDb and you saw this array of names, when you see Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall as not the title roles, I think that causes you to sit up and take note a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Particularly those two working uh, together. Neeson and uh, big old cast, no? Yeah, and Steve McQueen says... McQueen says one of the best things about making this was that he basically let Farrell and Duval improvise many of their scenes and he just got to see these two juggernauts, one of today, one of yesteryear and still today, just bringing what they do to the table and just seeing them work and he said it was just fantastic. Yeah, I bet it was. This is the first... Sorry, I can't cut you off. No, This is the first feature film directed by McQueen that does not have Michael Fassbender in the cast. He starred in his three previous movies, Hunger, Shame, and 12 Years a Slave. And prior to this, he'd only done uh, short films. I've seen Shame and I've seen 12 Years a Slave. I don't know if you've seen Shame. I don't think it'll be one we do on the podcast. No, what's it about? It's a sex addict. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I've not um, seen 12 Years a Slave either. Hunger's the probably Sam's film. Pardon? Hunger's the Bobby Sands film. Oh, yeah. I can't see. I'm not sure you'll want to sit through that one, mate. Well, no, I didn't want to sit through Michael Fassbender wanking, but um, you get that in shame. Um, According to McQueen, the first cut of the movie was close to three hours long, so he actually cut it down to get to 129 minutes. He cut that. Yeah, I'll rip through the the casting what ifs that we do have because there's not many of them. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence was approached for the role of Alice, but she had to decline due to scheduling conflicts with Red Sparrow. I've seen Red Sparrow. Yeah. I really like it. Saw that cinema, my brother, and he kind of gave me the same look that you did with um, Walk Among the Tombstones. Like, what the hell have you brought me to see? Oh, I like Red Sparrow. Yeah, I, I like guess he didn't expect like there to be so much kind of brutal well, rape and torture, I guess. Yeah, I do like a, I do like a Cold War film. Though, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I think they were in talks to do a, a sequel at one point, but decided against mm. it. Probably couldn't get Jennifer Lawrence to do so. Uh, another one with Charlie Theron in it. That's, I, can't, I can't remember what it's called. I don't want to say Blonde. No, I know, the, I know the film you mean. Um um, and it's called Blonde something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, who goes on to play the role, she is she's brilliant in this. You can see not why they were trying to put Jennifer Lawrence into the role, but this isn't one of those casting what ifs where you're perhaps questioning them. When you look at the cast that they do have, putting Jennifer Lawrence's as one of the three leading faces in the film makes perfect sense if that's the direction they were going towards. Yeah. And I can see yeah, her playing the role that she plays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amy Adams was rumoured for a role when the film was first announced. Which of the roles do you think she would take? Possibly not. I wasn't sure. Um, 
because I don't know if she fits in the Viola Davis role, but particularly if she's in a film, she is the leading lady. Um, I couldn't see her in Michelle Rodriguez's role, so I wasn't sure. But I guess, yeah, that probably does make the most sense. I couldn't see her as Veronica. Um, I do agree. I don't. I don't think I could see her as Michelle Rodriguez. No. Um, I don't know. Do you see? Do you see Amy Adams as a as Amanda? As, as the one who's not involved. No. Or, no. no I don't so I guess you. process of elimination and the fact the name that she has. It may be like we said with Jennifer Lawrence, where look at the name that stands out here. That's probably the one you're removing. Yeah, I, I think so. Because that's kind of her thing as well, isn't it? Um, the kind of softly spoken woman that eventually fights back. That's kind of her shtick. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, just if we go straight to the opening scene, we didn't need to see Viola Davis and Liam Neeson go into town like that, did we? <laughs> Not a fan, though. I think that made me more uncomfortable than any scene in American Psycho. <laughs> there was just no need. I think it's because it, it's so quiet, that scene as well. Like, as well as the visual, you hear everything there as well. It's just a bit much. Yeah, that's a very good point. I know why they're doing it, because they're contrasting it with the others, aren't they? This, yeah. spoiler alert, is not all that it seems, but they're trying to say this is the most real relationship of the trio. We see yeah. another one and they're arguing in the shop and then the other one who isn't apologising for hitting his wife. He's asking us to put makeup on to cover it. Yeah. So it does work for the opening. Just It just felt very aggressive. The the film in general, I think we spoke about this when we mentioned Ocean's 8. Uh, was it last week? Week before. And so you can probably see where I'm going here. Um, this really came out in the thick of the gender reversal reboots um, where we got the Ocean's 8 and we got the Ghostbusters. Films that were using women because they were women rather than this is just a phenomenal film in my opinion that just happens to star women and it feels so much more genuine when that's the case even with uh, the advertising of for a, film called Widows. for a film called Widows you sort of turn yourself into that though yeah but I mean even in the advertising of this they didn't sell it as, look, this is a fantastic film for female empowerment. It didn't go out of its way to announce itself as that. It didn't go out of its way to pat itself on the back for that. I think it's not too dark to do that, though. No, but usually, I guess this is the case and why it works. Is there any kind of time that does happen, then that is the selling point. They're almost... No, I, I, understand, I understand what you're saying, I, but I think this film's too dark to... Even if you, I think if you wanted to make that your selling point, the tone of the film is so dark it could very easily backfire. I don't know because I think you then wouldn't advertise it around the film. You'd advertise it around 
just yeah, come and see these three fantastic actresses mm. in this film. You wouldn't say that in, the in film so, itself yeah. was empowering. You would say the fact that they have these roles, and that would be the way it's been marketed traditionally. Very possible. I do what? think. I, I, think, I do think again we run the risk of losing losing that message in. Yeah. The Maya, oh, I see. The Maya, that is ultimately the film. Where Even... with Ocean's Eight, with Ocean's Eight. Regardless of whether they marked, if they if they chose to make, depending on you, if this is your opinion or how they marketed it, I don't really remember. But if you take your line to say they marketed it as a film of female empowerment, very much easier to do and to keep that message when it's fun and it's lighthearted, as opposed to the alternative. I think even if you just look at the reactions when films like the Ghostbusters ones were coming out, um. The numbers that they put up in the box office, it's hard to argue with what they did. But in just general conversation online and with the critics and all things like that, they just felt a bit forced. And this isn't an original story. It's a lesser known story than Ghostbusters and Oceans in recent times. So perhaps that has something to do with it. But it's very rare that you get a crime story about women where they're more than victims. Like I know they they start off as victims in this, but they don't stay that way very long. And it's just... You a couple of others? A what? You, a couple, yeah. I think it's quite rare. Uh, what? For the amount of, based on the amount of crime films that are made? Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking infinitesimal, man. And... Um, I saw... I saw a quotation and i think it was um when i was looking at oceans 8 the other week when i was going to mention it for oceans 11 and they say basically that on one hand women on screen are thought of as a good way to attract real life women and their hard-earned dollars and then also you put enough women on screen and it's a good way to attract men to spend their hard-earned dollars as well um and so you were with Oceans and with Ghostbusters, you were coupling that those two markets in with the nostalgia. And that was basically what got things over the line. Now, there's no way to say this without sounding piggish. So I hope you take it for what I'm saying here. But they haven't cast Margot Robbie, Gal Gadot and Scarlett Johansson as the three main characters here. As soon as, you've, as soon as you've said the words, they haven't cast, I automatically knew what you were going to say. And, you're well, like, and, that, and that's the point, you, because they aren't marketing like this on their looks. And traditionally, if you put those three as the main characters in a film, that is absolutely the way it's going to be marketed. Whether it's right or wrong, that's just the way these things happen. There was a comedian many years ago... Um, I can't remember who it was, but they had a joke about like stupid shit on TV, just having so it, it basically calls it something for the dads. And that's yeah. essentially what you say. That's essentially what you're saying. Well, but, and because it's not even in the sense that, and it's why I didn't go like the piranha route and say you're not having Kelly Brook in Kelly Brook Two and Kelly Brook Three. So this wouldn't be that if you had Margot Robbie, Gal Gadot, and Scarlett Johansson, because they're all three very good actresses. But then Kelly Brook's not. No, she's not. Um, but for the message it puts out there rightly or wrongly that would widows would be marketed in a different way there's the interview that I've mentioned on here before 
with the director of Jennifer's Body. And the whole film was basically around young women claiming their sexuality for themselves and not being victims to the teenage and young men that were around them. And then when they marketed it, they marketed it as Megan Fox takes her tops off and kisses Amanda Seyfried. Well, that interview is one that just always stands out to me because 10 years later, they finally were heard and they were able to say the film just got so much appreciation after and it became a cult classic. And they were saying the message hasn't changed. Like the times haven't changed for what we were saying then and what we were saying now. It's just we weren't able to put that message out because it was just so overridden by Megan Fox is the hottest thing of the moment. Look at her. I, mean, I, I understand. And so, the because it's, I understand it's not... the point that you're always trying, you're trying to make, but you are correct. There's no way you can say it without something else. Well, I, I was going to use examples, and I was going to. People made the big thing if we go way back to Michelle McManus on Pop Idol, and it was never. She's a good singer, which she was. Didn't go too far, but it was look, she's a good singer and isn't it great that we can have someone else on screen that doesn't look like a traditional pop star? And that was that was the whole thing around it. And so it's very rare that you have three high-profile women on the film poster and that conversation isn't being pushed around by other people marketing it. This just felt so much more natural, so much more organic. And I think it helped in drawing more people in. They only have one moment, don't they, that you could call like a, a bonding moment or a fist bump or whatever you want to call it. And they have it in the trailer where Veronica says, the best thing we have going for us is being who we are because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. And that's yes, kind that of the moment I always remember. Yeah, and yeah, it's the... They are underestimated at almost every turn. Yeah, I always say that the, the moment in the films like this where you almost find yourself nodding in your seat, whether it's a good fight scene, whether it's just a cool line, and that's one of those that is just a cool moment in the film. And then with five, less than five minutes later, they're in these big armoured suits and they're going through a front door and taking someone hostage and tasing them and knocking them out. And it's the same as any other heist film that you see. Yeah. So they acknowledge why this film's different, but they don't say this is the only reason you should come and see it. And so I just think it. No, there are. Thankfully, as you said in one of the reviews about double crosses and, and so on, but thankfully, whilst it wants to be different, it recognises where, where it comes from. Yes. We said they keep, when we. They keep, some, they keep some tropes and keep some classics from high films in there. And oh. as you should well be well aware at this stage, mate, I do love a high film. Yeah. And even Ocean's Eleven is probably the perfect example and it's one of the films that you've said is your favourite in the bracket. That film could not be more cliche of a heist film. It's literally, you've got the heist film checklist and it's like, okay, we've got the double cross, we've got the little montage, we've got the music, we've got everything here. Mm-hmm. And you go well, through sorry, it. In a 128 film bracket, one of my favourites might be, it's probably close to the truth, but it would be fairly far, far down that list. Oh, okay, it's only quoting what you'd said previously. Uh, 
But yeah, you get the point. Know, it's, you I didn't know. dislike the film because it was the cliche. You liked it for those exact reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, if I'm watching a heist film, there's certain things I want to see. If I'm watching a gangster film, there's a mob film, there's certain things I want to see. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is really good, but enough about the marketing of it. Um, just the cool moments you have in this, and I think there's so many of those head-nodding moments in this. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, Alice, strutting out of the gun store with three Glocks and a hot dog in hand is one of the coolest movie moments that we will have in this bracket. For all the guns are in the news at the moment, it's hard to imagine I wouldn't feel like Yosemite Sam on crack if I was walking out of a store with three guns in my hand and a big hot dog you would feel like one of the coolest people in the world and she well, manages to pull this off no I was just thinking of the most uh, the, uh, the most rooting tooting gun <laughs> gun wielding guys uh, I'm thinking of something Sam either way the loon team yeah I'll just make sure I have the right one. But anyway, it's a very cool moment. It sounds great in a trailer with some music behind it. And I think the one review that said they get it just right with having the right tropes, with having enough other things going on or keeping it fun, you still do get the feel of Chicago, you see enough of the city and enough of the projects around it that you have a sense of the different places this film is in. You have enough uh, introspection with the characters that they really, in not too much time, build this world that you're immersed in. And then it just enhances everything else around it because you know in certain places that they shouldn't feel safe. You know, um, sorry, just as a, a, a quick aside, you know Gillian Flynn? Oh, right, right, yeah, I do. I had it down in front of me. Yeah, it's the first film that she's um, co-written that is not adapted from one of her own texts. Crazy, perfect. Yeah, very right. good. Just didn't, didn't know she, the book. Do you remember? Was, to be honest, I, I'm. You spoiled that book for someone. Not you me. Spoiled that book for someone. Me. Mm. No, I don't. Oh, when we were at cafe, sir, you gave you the end and all. Oh, I feel bad if I did. I assumed someone would have seen it if they were having the conversation, but not good. I oh, reading the books. I can't remember. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does ring a bell now. Maybe I just dispelled it from memory because I wouldn't want to be that guy. No, by the way. Sorry. I remember the person that we referenced earlier as um, a legalized pig wrangler yeah. uh, spoiling WrestleMania for someone, which is a real highlight of my time at that place. But in terms of setting out the scene of where it is, there's one shot in this. And I always love these kind of continuous shots that you get in films. And you get this one that's filmed from the, the hood of Jack Mulligan's car as he and I can't, I think it's Siobhan in the film. And they have this moment where they drive through the District 18 to his mansion, which isn't far away. But all in that time, you get the different scale of what's going on and the politics within and 
how it's able to be pointed out. Look, you're claiming you represent this area. You don't even live in this area. You live in a nice house. And just to show that the women really are the ones in power throughout this whole film, Colin Farrell is just whinging in the car and she, she calls him a pussy. And he just stops in his tracks and has no idea what the hell to say. And just that, coupled up with the shot that you're getting, is probably my favourite moment in the film. Okay. It's just very good. I loved it. Uh, 1917 is is always the go-to for the kind of continuous shot thing. Or Goodfellas, I suppose, with um, the walk through the club. But with this in just the way they just gradually just show you the area and fill in the gaps of what you haven't seen is just so good. And then it's almost like a a cut scene of a video game where you, you can just hear the conversation inside the car. And when you just hear her saying what everyone is thinking, that he's whinging about these problems that would be minuscule to everyone else in that area. It just tops it off nicely and just does show you the power dynamic in the film. Before we get into the individual characters, I think when I recommended this film to you, and I definitely said this to TK, did I mention Daniel Kaluuya to you before you saw this film? You cut out there, sorry. No, no, you didn't. No. Okay, well, I think and I'm going to ask you later on who you think has the best performance in this film, but I think he is just incredible in this for the, the size of the role that he has to almost immediately portray this sense of dread whenever he's on screen mm. is, is just ridiculous. The scene in which the, the two guys that are rapping in the locker room and they lost the money and he shoots them and you have another continuous shot kind of going across the room, gauging everyone else's reaction as he walks away. The, the roster of actors is just insane. And the fact that he's able to perform above so many of those in this is just unbelievable. It's so good that, that, that he's British and you kind of have someone that you can cling to and it's cool seeing them in this type of, this type of film. Have you seen Get Out? No. Okay, so have you, I assume you've seen the poster of just him kind of staring. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. You'll definitely have I think, seen. It. I think I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah. So he says very little in this film. But he just has that same almost lifeless gaze that he does display in Get Out, but he almost just adds the most delicate of frowns underneath throughout this film, and it just makes him look so so evil. If he didn't seem evil enough in the scene where he shoots the guy. As he's rapping away, the bowling alley, his slow beatdown of a disabled guy, so it's already about as menacing as it can get because he's doing this to someone that can't do anything back to him. And he's stabbing him in the legs and asking, do you feel that? And seeing him wince away and still getting the information out of him. He's not flinching at all. He doesn't flinch when he shoots those two kids. Making one run away is a classic thing in film where you know they're going to die after. I think Apocalypso is the only one where they make it out of this. 
but it just adds so much to the character already. And anytime he's anywhere near the screen in this, you just fear the worst of anyone that's remotely within his eyeline. As an enforcer, as an enforcer in a film, the wonderful fate to It's so good because then in in Get Out, which is his most prominent role, you're rooting for him the whole way through this. And so to have the range and just be able to flip that and everyone just resents you but we also want you on the screen as much as possible because you're so good it's, it's, it's just phenomenal um, that is the virtue of having Daniel Kaluuya role mate isn't it? yeah he he, as a, he is a complete opposite to Jared Leto because I've never actually seen him in anything I've been fighting <laughs> him the yeah, only he's... reason I haven't seen Get Out was you remember excuse me if you remember when it came out it was like a hype, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, like, I have to say, I, I typically pretty well with avoiding spoilers. Like, James, uh, uh, No Time to Die, didn't know what was happening until I watched it, and I watched it maybe a year after it was in. Anyone that's listens to this would feel the opposite way, by the way, <laughs> that you're good at avoiding spoilers. Um, well, okay, yeah, no, that's a fair point. <laughs> these these days, the yeah. films that are released now yeah, I get, in the age yeah. of social media, I'm I'm very good. Granted, there are a lot of films from the nineties and early two thousands that have been spoiled for me. Get Out was spoiled for me almost immediately. Okay. I was like, oh. Unlike everything else, oh, I'm just not going to bother watching it. Well, I, I saw the by that point. I saw the hype and so literally avoided everything. I so saw it really early on, and so I knew very little. And yeah, that that was definitely the best way to do it because there were so many things in there that just catch you off guard. Um, if I let you pick any rap song in history, the one you know best, how far into it do you think you could get while maintaining eye contact with Daniel Kaluuya in character for this film? Uh, I don't know. A very good question. Because you see the struggle this guy has in this, and the fact he's almost he gets up underneath him, Dundee, and he looks up at him. What um, what song would you choose? I don't I don't know. It would probably be something. Can I don't even need to know the song. I'm just a time of how far into it you think you'd get without being thrown off. No, no. But what I'm trying to because what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to work out is trying to think if there's a song that I could even get a decent time in without. Just stumbling over the fact that I don't know the lyrics anymore. No, um, I'll say I mean, that I, you'll be allowed to so. miss some words out because I think oh, you know, there's okay. there's definitely some songs that you shouldn't be doing and maybe make him will certainly make him a lot angrier. I was going to say there's probably a lot of songs I shouldn't shouldn't no. be rapping to. You can do this. Uh, you can do as you should, the censored version, and that that still counts. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't don't think it's very long. I think I'll lose my bubble if, quite If um, Byron's bookies put the over under at 30 seconds, do you think you can get oh, to 30 seconds into the song? I'd take the over on that, yeah. Because this lad struggles to get 15 seconds in and it's his own song. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely, I definitely take the over there. Okay. Maybe we'll, if we can ever set that up, Byron's bookies, we'll put that on. We ever um, to, if we ever get a chance to interview Daniel Clear, yes, I will do. 
that would be um i wonder if that same guy from the wedding crashes in the interview pop up thought what's this guy in the bottom left doing rapping to daniel Kalia? so unprofessional oh by the way if this guy listens to this podcast you're fucking victim <laughs> <laughs> by definition by, by definition as we don't get paid for this i am unprofessional i'm a non-professional what he actually should be criticizing is my lack of professionalism I actually think the fact that we aren't very professional is probably why we're able to get those kind of answers out of him so work to our benefit I completely agree Um, no one else has ever got Tony Tony Orlando talking about getting dicks up (laughs) no Um, even less so with his daughter listening because I feel like that's probably as close to the Daniel Kaluuya Daniel Kaluuya scenario like if he had to do that or he had to sing in front of Daniel Kaluuya I feel he's taking the latter yeah probably he wasn't a great fan he wasn't a great fan of it um, I still agree with you after this day that Adam Sandler just sits in that row <laughs> couple of issues with the film if any and it's really nitpicking um, I know we have the cast that we have only giving us 30 seconds of John Berntal is so disappointing Decent printer. Turn that one day film. Turn the book. Yeah, and I can't see him without just wanting more Punisher, which is also a negative, but they just never bring that back now, are they? No, I think they are, and I, they are kind of doing a he's the character, but you don't need to have seen the first two seasons kind of thing. So it's like a reboot with the same people in their positions, if that makes any sense. If they keep the same cast, I would definitely get involved. Yeah, they're doing it with Daredevil at the moment. And I believe they're doing it with Luke Cage and Jessica Jones as well. Jessica Jones, I really, really like. Yeah, same. Um, Luke Cage, not so much. I, I know people grieve in different ways. Did we need Linda and the uh, architect that had just lost his wife? Did Did they need to be necking each other like that just felt so unnecessary but times are tough you gotta get through any way you can gotta do, what you, gotta do what you can to survive in this world mate because when on first watching it you get the impression i think at least from my perspective she's doing this so he would she's doing it get the details from but then like she's it's never followed up on so it's like <laughs> she just wanted a bit of intimacy for 10 seconds the guy wasn't complaining. Like she apologized, he didn't apologize. Um, and then everyone just moves on. It was like, okay, we got what we needed. Let's get on with it. Uh, yeah, I, I get. It. I mean, I took it more as means to an end for what happens after the fact. Yeah, it just felt like I, I kind of expected more from it, and then no, it was just. Uh, Everyone was just getting what they wanted. Um, do you think, if there was to be a criticism, it's not one from me, do you think there was too much going on or do you think they balanced everything out properly with you've got the two uh, opposing sides competing for office and then you've got the widows doing it and then you've got them trying to get their money back, which I guess all ties in, but was there too much for you or was there just enough of everything within the two hours, nine minutes? Um, A little bit. Not like seeing that, oh, it's terrible because I couldn't understand it, but there was a little hot minute where I was, where I was fucking, jeez, where's this going? <laughs> um, there was a little bit, so it's not even that. In the grand scheme of things, it is important. Like when Liam Neeson just pops back up, 
fuck off. Didn't expect that. I've got to say, it was a nice little. Didn't see, didn't see that coming whatsoever. No, it's very good. Um, um, yeah, just a little, little tap at the door, and he lands there. No dramatic, no dramatic entrance. She just strolls away. No argument. Were you rooting for either um, Jamal or Mulligan to get the office, or because ultimately Mulligan gets it at the expense of his dad being killed? Yeah, he's an old, he's an old boy. I'm sure he would have wanted it. So, I mean, sure was was there either one of those that you wanted to win no. that battle or you'd no, like them no, both no. to lose, basically? Not in any way, shape or form. I honestly didn't care. My, my, my focus was on the crew more than anything else. I did note down very early on in the film when Mulligan is trying to talk him out of backing out of the race. And he says, you've got to understand, I don't pull out when it feels this good. That was a great mic drop. He delivered it well as well. You are Come on. That was, if we were doing quotables, in fact, if this gets through to the next round and we've got the line that makes a Tinder bio, I've got, that's probably going to be up there. Yeah, very on the nose. Yeah, not the worst. Not the he's worst dealing with the filthy mulligans. He, he's got to get his point across. Yeah, not the worst uh, that we would have had. Talking. No, no, we've had some dark ones there that we won't go back over. Mm. Who do you think had the best performance? I do think that my older day, yeah, can't even speak that. Sorry, he's getting catching whatever he's got. I think Viola Davis is brilliant in this film. If you give me your top three. Viola Davis. And this isn't in any particular order, by the way. I don't know. I need some more time to think about that. Okay. Daniel Fleur, Viola Davis. Um, See if we have the same list here. Um... Do you like Elizabeth Debicki? Yeah, that's who I that's who I think would be third. I think she may be better than Viola Davis. Okay, fair enough. Elizabeth Debicki, of anyone, to be fair, probably has the most range of emotion from anyone in the film. Like Viola Davis has the lowest lows, I think, in that she thinks her husband's died, then she finds out he's not dead; he's actually just cheating on it. And he faked his death to get out of this. She has the guilt that he's killed her partner's husbands in the process of doing this. She's lost her son. You've got all of this going on. But her emotion largely in the film is grief. More grief at terms with the grief. Whereas Elizabeth Tabicki's... It's not... um... It's not necessarily an emotion, but I think for a lot of the film, it's just fuck you. Yeah, that's... I've got to respect that. Well, yeah, even... It's not empowerment in them coming together. It's essentially, if you don't come together with me, I'll be handing over your names. They literally come together via blackmail. Yeah, exactly. But then Elizabeth Tubicki's character, right from the start, we see that she has an abusive husband, and she's trying to come to terms with the fact that She's no 
longer a married woman, which when you hear the way her mum speaks is something that is almost her identity at that point. She's free from the shackles of that abuse, but then she's back in with her mum, who is almost more abusive. In she Jesus doesn't consider uncle. that she can Jesus have. Yeah, she doesn't consider that she can have any kind of job at all to the point where she's encouraging her daughter to do escorting, and that's her way out of it. And she's almost like asking why she's turning her nose up at it. What the hell else are you going to do? And she, I think she says, you know, Virgin Mary, so what's the difference? She has to clarify, I wasn't being paid with the, with the people I've been with uh, before. She's getting slapped around the whole film, so you do have the kind of fist pump moment where she hits back for the first time and she says, I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah. And she has the confusion of this kind of arranged sugar daddy style relationship where she acknowledges that she thinks she's better than that, hence why she's not prepared to just sit on that and not be involved in the heist. Well, not really knowing if the guy actually has feelings for her and they just come together in this odd kind of way. And then towards the end, she realizes that he thinks just everything is a transaction. He thinks that he can just buy her affection. This and that. She should just drop everything because he's, he's got cash. And she has no worth placing herself around that. So I think she has the most ups and downs. She's the most naive character. You see the arc of her at the end. She's going out on her own. She's meeting new people, this and that. Something that's minuscule in most films, but it's quite big for her in this. I don't know. And, and she's she's the butt of the few punchlines in the film. I think Michelle Rodriguez, they say, improvised the joke of her describing her dress as a condom. It's a good line, yeah, all these little things just come together. She probably has the most to do. Given her more experience, like it's a youngster coming in, this wasn't her first acting job, but she she had no experience in comparison to the others on screen. Yeah, no, no, I get that. He's actually also very good. Lucas Haas, as David, is very good at playing the kind of slimy guy that he is. Because he plays it toned down where it's not so uh, obscenely obvious. He's not some guy in a bar rubbing his hand up her leg with slick back hair and this and that and this big limo he's inviting her into. It's all these things that would usually be the stereotype. He's just a guy who has money who thinks that he can just buy anything he wants and you see the unfolding of that. So he plays that very well. Yeah. Viola Davis as you've just referenced, the energy that she just puts out in this film is very good because you've got to imagine when you read the description of this character, she's got down that she's grieving for her husband. She has some resentment towards said husband for her son who was murdered by a racist policeman and there's so much going on. And so to be able to convey all that without even saying it, just the kind of frown that she is able to put on, very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, I do think she I do think she's awesome in this. Do you think we take Michelle Rodriguez for granted, perhaps? Because this just feels like every character I ever see her play. And she does a very good job of it. But we're perhaps she doesn't 
she's not being shown up by the other actresses. I'm not saying she's shown up as being worse than them, but it just doesn't feel like the same performance that we're crediting the others with. Because it's like Letty from Fast and Furious with less cringy lines and no car. Yes, it is very similar. And I don't yeah. know if that's a her thing. That might be me doing a disservice. And if it is, apologies. But is it a her thing or is it just a character thing? She turned down the role at first because she said she didn't see what she could do with the character. She said it just felt like her upbringing, basically in a downtrodden part of the city with nothing really to cling on to. And so she said it didn't really give her anything to get her teeth into. And then it was only then she was told, well, should you not be more on brand to play this person than me bringing someone else in to do it? And that kind of won her around. But I mean, that is a valid, is a valid point. Yeah. I suppose it's whether... Is typecasting the right word? I don't think it is. No, but I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, she showed that really, she can do it well, so yeah, why, somebody, why mix it up? Somebody appears on a podcast once a week, I really should be able to explain my thoughts a lot better. Um, go on. I've got one of these questions for you that you're going to shake your head at when I ask it, but I'm going to make you entertain the concepts anyway. Let's try. Please it's please. Liam Neeson related, which we've had a lot of conversations about before. Yep. If you think of every character Liam Neeson has ever played, yep. if you assume that after Schindler's List, his characters are at their peak karmic levels, if you think of the characters he's played since then, good and bad, has he eroded that away completely? Or has he played enough moral characters since to have that level buffered up? Effectively, if we've got him at a 10 after Schindler's List, look through. We've done a couple on this podcast. Can I have a look at his filmography? Yeah, absolutely. Just for the record, maybe this needs to come a conversation for away from. It's a question like this. Maybe let me prepare this one in in advance. Because I didn't really have it in advance to give you. Okay, fair enough. I can't argue with that. Um, Even just one that we've done on this podcast, if we yeah, use that as a starting point. I can't, because um, like, I'm looking at films and I've ne- I haven't seen fucking half of them, so I don't, I no, don't really no. know. So the um, ones we've so done on here, we had Ronald Knight, where if you even try and balance his karma in that film, does saving his son balance out the fact that he was a mob hitman for about 20 years prior? I'm not sure it does, so I think that's a, that's a minus. He also does kill a lot of people in that film. Yeah. So he kills a fair few. Gangs of New York? Plays the priest? Yeah, we, we... I feel like you're marking him down for the grey. Karmically, doesn't do a lot wrong in the grey, no? Well, I just thought you personally, like you're the one deciding this here, so I thought you would take a lot away from him just because it is the grey. I mean, shit, it's a shite film. So I've just got to switch to my speaker, my AirPods have just died. That sounds about a thousand times clearer than you were earlier. We should have started like this. This makes no sense. I've gone from... So my mic is now further away. it's, It's night and day. It's like... 
I've been speaking to you through a glass window and I've just opened the window. I don't, I, I, I don't know, mate. I can't explain it. because We know for next week. <laughs> before I was using my AirPods, so my microphone was maybe four inches away from my mouth. Now it's at the other end of my bed because the mic is in my phone. It's a foot away, so how can it be clearer? I don't know, but it is. Like, yeah, I'll get you to listen back just to 15 seconds later and you'll see the change. It's weird. You know, um, you know I'm not going to do that. But we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll just keep him in mind for next week. I'll just take, go straight from the speaker. Taken one, two, and three. Kills a lot of people. Mm. He's also doing it to take it to take down multiple terrorists and child traffickers. Um, He's not doing it for that reason. He's doing it to rescue his daughter. What, the, uh, what other is a byproduct? I feel like every child trafficker you take out probably does something for you karmically. Yeah, I completely agree. I assume that's got to be up there. In sort of acts of things that you can do well in the world, killing child traffickers is probably yeah. quite high on the list. Um, a walk among the tombstones. Ghul, a plan to, uh, uh, and uh, Bat- Batman begins a plan to sort of destroy a city. Probably not ideal. No, and I think he takes some credit for the fact his daughter then tries to do it a second time. Yeah, yeah, fair. That's a good point. Um, a million ways to die in the West. I know he's in it, and I know he's in it with an Irish accent, but I don't know what he does. I was does hoping you'd clarify, but we've gone past it. A walk among the tombstones, karmically fucked. He's He saves a lot of people in that. Yeah, but you told me I was the one judging it, and if I can knock him down <laughs> for the grey, I'm knocking him down for that. So there you okay. go. Uh, the next three days, I don't remember a lot of, but we've got that up in a few weeks. Um, I think playing a literal god in Clash of the Titans probably goes a long way. He's in the. There's two of them, isn't there? Yeah, there so, is. There's Clash of the Titans and Wrath of the Titans, and he's Zeus in both. Um, the what I was going to say to you. He plays the lion in Narnia as well. Karmically, big plus. Yep. Um, Bob playing Bob Mark Felt probably a. Um. Probably is it is that a karmic plus? I'd say he's a good guy in Love Actually as well. No, uh, I've never seen it. Qui-Gon Jinn, good guy. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, I think we're getting there. We're getting to the point that he's That's probably... basically, good. yeah, right after Schindler's List. So what do you think? You think he's okay, or you think it's a bad end for him? I think he's probably doing okay. I mean, we've gone through. We haven't really, he's not really done a lot. I mean, a lot of these films, he kills people. He kills a lot of people, but for a reason. Have you ever seen... Um, there's a film called The Marksman, where he shoots a lot of people, but he's doing it to save this Mexican yeah. lady and her son. I guess it depends how, how much you take off him for this role because he does really screw Viola Davis over and several people. Yeah, he does kill a few. He does, does fuck a few, to be fair. But on a scale of... He's, I guess he, if Schindler's he, List puts you at 10 in the good, I don't know how much in the bad him screwing over about five people does in this sense. Yeah, yeah I get what you're saying. I mean, it does kill a lot of people. Karmically, regardless of your reason... Yeah, yeah. Murder, murder will will reduce your will will induce. And he killed a lot of people. Bad, bad so, karma. yeah. If you if you were looking at it objectively, regardless of the reason for it, karmically he is fucked. Any Albanian listeners are screaming screaming at their phones currently. Yeah, I mean, if we take away any subjectivity to the films and just look at people saved versus people murdered, I will guess people murdered would be a lot more. Yeah. Um. Did we need any extra exp- any extra explanation of his affair, or was the sheer fact that it was taking place enough? 
once you do once you've done what you've done, the sheer the sheer fact that it's there is enough. So it, the the film didn't need any more minutes wasted on that. That was well, what we got. This is how it happened. This is why it happened. No fuck no. Yeah, I agree they, with you. I'm. You 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 have you faked your death. You were responsible for three guys dying. Who you which you seem completely okay with. Yeah. You've you've fucked off. You've you've absolutely fucked off your missus. Who you you've lost lost a child with, which is terrible in itself. How you've done it, and and then you come back and you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm cheating on you. Like do you, I don't need. There's not what what explanation can he give after all this? Where you're like, tell you what, tell you what, big mum. No, with even with whether it's him explaining it, I didn't know. There's there would be some people that would say the film could have given us an extra five minutes on how this happened, why this happened. But I I agree. I don't think we need it. I think the fact it's taken place, the reveal was enough. Yeah, I don't I don't need to. How and why is is immaterial at this stage. Is the real issue here the woman letting her in the house? Like fair play by the dog. To be fair, it's done a great job in blowing this up. Mm. But this would have been a lot easier. The fact she's content to say, look, this really isn't a good time. You could have said that at the door. Just don't answer. And all of this goes away. <laughs> yeah, people make bad choices. And just before we get into the judging, um, do you, do you like how simple the heist was? Yes. Like there was no need to go, I guess, all Ocean's Eleven on it. Get in the house. Here's the safe. We got the code. Get the money. Get out. Yeah. Because it still it's feels not, tense, it's doesn't not it? not the, the perfect heist, but it's the perfect heist, if that makes sense. Yeah. The fact, whenever you have that where you're seeing over their shoulder in the vault, where Lovely. it feels like there could be someone coming in behind them at any moment, so tense, so good. Do you know what I love even more? Is the slow vault reveal where the vault's empty. There's a matter of mistakes. I'm just all, I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing for it. If you roll that open and there's nothing in there, oh, I'm in. No. Um, the getaway then, good. The end of Daniel Kaluuya. I feel like it's better for his character and the way we look at him after, the way that he died, rather than one of the women taking him out when he's been so menacing the whole time. The fact that he's taken out by them technically, but in a car accident... Yeah, I think means that we still view him in a different way than if he'd been overpowered physically. Yeah, yeah, it's not a one v one. There's no, he has no direct adversary. No, and tiny nitpick. Did we need um, the money handover at the end? Name a library in my son's name. I like it. The handover, the little wave by the cafe. I like all that. I like the two of them seeing each other. I thought the whole. Look, this is for a good reason. I thought I, I don't have an issue with it. I just didn't think we needed uh, it. I, I don't mind it. Very good, though. Um, you like the yeah. film? Dislike the film? I did like the film. I thought it was cool. I thought it was it was along the lines of what you were trying to say at the start. No matter how piggishly you explain them, um, I, I I do think it was just a very different. I didn't know until after I'd seen it that it was a remake of something. No, um, which is strange because my nan absolutely loves Lynn Plant or loved Lynn Plant. Mate, honestly, a bookshelf in one of the bookshelves in my house has got about eight of her books on there. Why? He said that it was one. Of, there was a book by her that she once claimed was the best book she'd ever read. 
Um, yeah, it was a it was a bold 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 claim. Um, didn't know it was a remake, so for me it was completely it was fresh and it felt very new and very different to anything I'd seen before. Yeah, but also Let's... quite similar and quite comfortable. Odd. Let's get into the judging and see how it does. See how it fares. Uh, American Psycho or Widows? Which did you prefer? Oh, Widows. I agree. Uh, rewatchable. I will watch Widows again before I watch American Psycho. I, I think Widows is actually very rewatchable. Um, mm. oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think enough goes on. Um, I think it's not I heavy enough. Rewatchable off the back of some of the performances, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't. I think American Psycho is half an hour shorter. I would flip that and say it feels half an hour longer. I completely agree. Uh, best moment slash scene. When Duval gets taken out. Okay, yeah. I think it's the bowling alley. Um, just the, the true menace behind Kaluuya is just phenomenal. Best quote. I've given you mine already. <laughs> Fucking, you're a dickhead. Um, hold on. Sorry, I do this every week. I know it's coming. Try to find the right note on my phone. Um, best quote. The ones I've written down, trying to trying to pick one for you. I have to return some videotapes. Was a good recurring one by Patrick Bateman. Yeah, it does date that film though. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really did date that film. Uh, I always said he should burn in hell, but hey, Chicago will do. Never been to Chicago, but just made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, quite a scathing indictment of any film. Patrick Bateman saying he deserves a break because he's a child of divorce. After all he'd done was quite good as well. Um, MVP Patrick Bateman I agree he at least got away with some of them yeah so he's probably got away with something more difficult than the heist which ultimately <laughs> was fairly simple once mm. uh, they got themselves in order a lot easier than you might have believed it would be best side character you know mine already Snowball yeah. the pig yeah, no, it's not my mind. It's Daniel Kaluuya. I agree, actually. In brief, <laughs> Snowball's minor will mention. I take Snowball the pig over the dog from Widows. Yeah, so do I, actually. Which film had you more on the edge of your seat? Uh, Widows, but that may be a. Actually, no, I was going to do it a disservice. I going to say it might be because I've never seen it before, but I do think it is actually just a pretty on the, on the edge of your seat film. Yeah, I was torn. I, I do agree. I do agree. Action per minute, I'm going to go American Psycho. Yes. Best soundtrack? Uh, is American Psycho. Yeah. Originality? I thought this was a very hard, very hard pick. It's American Psycho for me. Yes. I... I... I can, I can, yeah. I did, did think, like I say, the thing I liked about Widows was it did seem fresh and did seem new to yeah. me. But yeah, I, I understand your point. A bigger impact, American Psycho. Yes. Best opening scene. 
uh, Widows. Yeah, I agree. Best ending? For me, Widows. Yeah. And when the director's criticising their own ending, that might tell you something. And Fair. best chemistry? Widows. Tally up. Nine five in the end to Widows. So Widows goes through to the next round. Next week we'll be back. Uh, it's expected to be twenty two jump street against Ace Ventura. If it's not, it'll be something on that's my boy. But I'm not too sure which direction we're going to go, so I can't confirm yet. But there'll be something next week, and it will be comedy based. So we're back there. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in as always. We'll be back. Goodbye.